This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Sober Life Audio, Audio Experience. Experience. What up? Yo, what's up, Brian? Hey, we got Roman. We got Brian. Yeah. We got the man, the myth, the legend. We got Yo. an amazing guest, author, philanthropist, entrepreneur, <laughs> TJ yes. Woodward. What's up? Not Well, I'm so happy to be here <laughs> with you guys. This is so much fun. Dude, it is. It's, a, it's an honor to have you in. We met not too long ago. And you were someone that as soon as we met with you, your energy and your passion for life and for what you do was immediately attractive. And we were like, dude, we have to get this guy on the podcast. And then when you told us that you were a distinguished author, it was like, oh. A slam dunk, yeah, baby. No duh. It was like, for sure, we're, we're doing this. We well, came in hard in the paint. Well, yep. that's quite an introduction, guys. Thank you so much. So, hey, you are welcome. So, yeah, welcome to the show. We start uh, every show typically the same. We have three important questions we're going to ask special. you. Very special. So, uh, Roman, why don't you ask him the first one? It would be my honor. TJ, question number one. What is your purpose? Wow. We're just going to dive right in. Straight you into know, it. You know, I will, I'll say this. I do know my purpose because I... In my own life, I've had so much pain, so much difficulty, and there was a turning point for me. I had the calling to go in doing spiritual work, doing work with people, coming out of an addiction, helping people break the cycle. My purpose today is to be a catalyst for and a witness to the awakening that's happening on the planet, whether that's someone working through an addiction or any other life issue, you know, addiction to the BS, the belief system. Yeah, right. That may be running yeah. their show. So to help people break free of that and to live a life that's more connected, more dynamic, and more filled with love. Love it. Damn. That goes right into question number two. It does. That was like a perfect segue into... Which is, what do you love? What do you love? I love and I feel passionate about my work, and I don't even know that I would use the word work. I've been on this mega trip here in Southern California this week promoting my new book, and I have felt so energized. I was on the phone with a friend of mine, and she's like, how do you do all this? And like, my passion for this actually just energizes me. I feel right. more energized by the end of the day. The more I do, the more yeah. energized I feel. I mean, you can That's see awesome. it. You're like radiating this, this glow. Yeah, it's because I didn't put powder on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Question number three, TJ. Now that I have your book in my hand, um, what is one book, aside from your own, or I guess it could be yours, that has greatly impacted or influenced your life? I think my bo the book that has influenced my life the most is A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. It mm -hmm. was life-changing for me. I, I, I just like – it's so dog-eared and, you know, Oprah has the same thing. I've seen her copy. It's all shredded with like right. notes all over it. So I, that book changed my life. Really? What oh. was it about that book? What, did, it, did it shift your, your perspective? Was it, was it a energy shift? What, what do you think spoke to you about I it? I think what I loved about the book is it resonated so deeply. You know, sometimes I read books and it's like, oh, yeah, I know that. I know that. Right. I know that. And that's, that's what A New Earth was for me. I don't know that it was like anything profoundly new in terms of information, but the way he put it together, I just think it's amazing. And, you know, he – said that he didn't think the book would be popular because people wouldn't be ready to go that deep. Mm. Yeah. It became this, you know, massive bestseller. So yeah. it's it's a proof that 
this amazing awakening is happening on the planet right now. Nice. He's, he's an incredible author. Yeah. So it landed. It landed. Yeah. Perfect. Speaking of authors, I have in front of me your newest. What, what would you say this is? Uh, that's a book. <laughs> like, a, like yeah, I know it's a book. It's for you guys that are watching uh, on Facebook Live. I have in front of me Conscious Recovery, A Fresh Perspective on Addiction by T.J. Woodward. For those that are listening, it's a white book with some letters on front. But aside from it being a book, right, is this is this a novel? Is this uh, informative? Is this educational? Yeah. yeah. So all, all joking aside, I've been uh, – myself, I've been in recovery for 31 years. And okay. I also have been working in the field of addiction treatment, doing spiritual care for over a decade at high-end top-tier treatment programs. And conscious recovery is really a combination or a culmination of my work, my experience, and my own journey of awakening, my own journey of breaking the cycle of addiction. Right. Right. And really my experience of working with clients. And it started with a profound question. Mm. And that question was, what would happen if I decided to view the person I'm working with through the lens of wholeness and perfection instead of through the lens of brokenness? That really began the journey, this incredible mm. journey that now is called conscious recovery. You know what? That's wow. such an interesting shift because so often our addicts and alcoholics viewed as – broken, yeah. helpless, victims, like, why can't you just do better? Yeah. You know, like, you hear what's all the wrong time. with you? They need to be fixed. Yeah. They need to be fixed. They need what's to be the fixed. solution to that? Yeah, and, and beyond that, it's the clients that I work with, and certainly my own my own experience was I felt broken. Right. Yeah. So, like, regardless of what anyone else was saying, I was carrying so much shame, and I know we're going to talk more about yeah. the book and the three root causes of addiction that I've come up with in the book. But toxic shame is one of them, the mm -hmm. sense of feeling broken. And yeah. as long as we're walking around feeling broken, right. recovery becomes a very difficult thing. So mm. it's really about unlearning those beliefs and ideas. Mm. That's powerful. Wow. So shifting into seeing someone as perfect and complete and whole, what, what did you notice shifted in you? When you chose that perspective or that lens to look at the the addict or the alcoholic in front of you, did did they rise? Did they? I mean, like, what did you what did you experience by shifting that that perspective? Well, I love your question because you're asking what I experienced, which yeah. is cool. Because a lot of times I talk about what happened with the client. Yeah, what shifted in me honestly was I thought, wow, this this work. Yeah. When I do it this way yeah. is exhilarating. It's energizing. You know, a lot of times people talk about getting burnt out in this field. Yeah. I feel more and more energized because when I'm not thinking it's my job to fix someone mm. and I'm not seeing them as broken, what I really get is that, I mean, I'll even say it's easy. Wow. It's really energizing. Yeah. It's really fulfilling. I, I notice, you know, I facilitate like every Wednesday I facilitate four 90 minute groups. Okay. Plus, Two, two individual sessions. And okay. Like, How do you do that? And by the end of Wednesday, I do feel physically tired. Yeah. But I feel spiritually and emotionally and mentally energized every time. Like on fire. On fire. Because it's your pap your passion and your purpose. Right. Absolutely. So your cup is overflown, my friend. So tell us more of some of the concepts in this book. You've mentioned um, your background of being in recovery over 30 years, your experience in the field, and you alluded to some causes in your experience based on what, what, what you would say is some causes of addiction. 
Yeah. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Yeah. So a couple of things. One is the book is really written through the spiritual lens. And so I recognize, you know, it's an Indian proverb that we all have four rooms, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Right. And so I recognize there are definitely physical aspects to addiction, mm-hmm. mental aspects, emotional. I'm really focusing on the spiritual. So right. the book is written through that lens. And I wanted to start with that because the three root causes, the beginning of the book, section one is the root causes of addictive behavior. And it's unresolved trauma, Mm. spiritual disconnection, and I mean a disconnection from that essential spiritual self, and then the third one is toxic shame. Can you you go in a little deeper? We don't need to give it all away, but a little deeper into these causes. Um, Some maybe examples that that resonate with you. So, So you talked about the trauma. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it can be self-explanatory, but what would be some examples of trauma that people are experiencing? Is this like mom and dad stuff when you're a kid? I mean, you could get into the obvious, like the rape or the physical traumas. Early childhood stuff. Right. Yeah. So exactly. A, a lot of times we equate trauma with some of these bigger life events, like you know, being in an accident or being sexually abused or being right. physically abused. And obviously those are trauma. Right. I think a lot of it goes unrecognized though. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Don Miguel Ruiz, the author of the book Four Agreements, yeah. calls it the domestication of the human. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, when we're when we come into the world as spiritual beings and then we get downloaded all this stuff, you know, competition, fear, not right. good enough, you know, striving right. to for perfection in the outer realm. Right. All of that is a traumatic experience. You know, there's also vicarious trauma. I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with that will say, I don't have any trauma. And then, you know, as we, as it unfolds, Uncover. then they, they'll, they'll remember, you know, they witness right. maybe mom and dad fighting a lot. Yeah. They remember being in their room and, you know, being really afraid. There's a lot that's trauma. And then, you know, not to mention what it's like to go to kindergarten, right? You know, right. Yeah. yeah. And everything that happens in school. Right. So it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a huge, dramatic, traumatic event in some someone's life. It, it could just be the, the things that we all go through as humans growing up in our different societies. Absolutely. Right? And like we, the pressures of just being in society. Yeah. And like so much competition, you know. Right. What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? Right. All the stuff that gets downloaded, all the ideas, right. the concepts, the beliefs. Conditioning. And then, conditioning. Absolutely. And then we take that on. And, you know, in all fairness – Usually, it's by well-meaning parents or well-meaning right. teachers, but they're they're downloading it's their unconscious beliefs. Yeah, it's I mean, some, sometimes it, it it's hard to say that. Right. Usually, but, it's just unconscious. Right. So, wow. to- toxic shame. Toxic shame, you know, as a result of this trauma, as a result of this disconnection from the essential self, you know, we're walking around feeling broken and that Mm -hmm. really is toxic shame. You know, guilt is I've done something that I believe is wrong. Shame is I believe that I am fundamentally wrong. Mm -hmm. When we're walking around with that, of course, we're going to want something outside of ourselves to try to relieve that, that wow. pain, that disconnection, that yeah. I'm broken. And, yeah. you know, I, I write a lot about core false beliefs. Certainly, I'm, I didn't coin that term, but yeah. I recognize that only 100% of the clients that I've worked with are carrying some false beliefs. I'm not good enough. I'm not right. lovable. I'm not right. worthy. I can't do this. Right. Yeah. Life is hard. Right. The yeah. world is difficult. You know, there's all these beliefs. And when we're, when we're living in that kind of 
disconnection, that kind of psychic pain, of course, we're like, we have our umbilical cord mm-hmm. trying to plug in right. someplace to get fed or get some relief. Well, yeah. And, and, and to go into that third topic of the, the disconnection, I mean, what what's your thoughts on the new age, the social media? Do you think that contributes to or takes away from disconnection? I have, I don't know. Okay. I will say this, that I've experienced both. Okay. So I think the possibility is both, right? We know that on some level, social media is connecting us more. You know, I mean, right. I, I have my friends from high right. school that I would have never connected. Right. I mean, we're on social media right we're now. We're on social media right yeah. now. I mean, yeah. through the airwaves, if you will, and through social media and our phones, there's a lot of positive messages coming through. When I look at someone that's in high school now, you know, I mean, I'm – Quite, quite a few years out of high school, right? We didn't right. have social media. And if I imagine that the feeling being that age and being afraid of people and feeling not as good as and hyper-focused on do I look okay and then right. social media has to only spike that, right? right? And we have, of course, one of the highest addiction rates in the world and there's right. no surprise about that. Right. Let me ask you something, TJ. As you're talking about these three things, you know, the, the trauma, the, the disconnect from your spiritual self – as well as, you know, the guilt and the shame, walking around with that. Is that exclusive to addicts and alcoholics? Well, see, that's the million-dollar question, right? Because someone can say, well, a lot of people have that. So why do some people become addicted? So when we're grabbing – so I use a very broad definition of addiction, and we can kind of talk a little bit more about it. Anytime we're looking for something outside of ourselves to try to fix something that feels broken within, that may in itself not be an addiction. But when we believe that that's the the the, the vehicle that's going to bring me relief and it becomes habitual, yeah. and then, of course, there are chemical hooks. And then yeah. there are – so the problems and the consequences. Habitual, yeah. even ritual. <laughs> habitual well, and ritual. It's, yeah. I mean it's, it's the, yeah. the conversation about someone who compares a heroin addict, say, to someone – who is addicted to the gym, right? You know, loosely. Right, right, right. So one would say, well, obviously, the heroin addict—that's a problem. But someone that goes to the gym habitually, oh, that's not problematic. Mm. But it's still, you know, if you get down to the core of it, mm. there's these what you're talking about these three core causes, yeah. right? The roots. Yeah, I actually write an example in the book about um, a case study. You know, of course, I changed her name, but it's a client that I worked with. And mm-hmm. she had a belief that she wasn't good enough or wasn't worthy. So in her external realm, she was a high achiever. She right. became addicted to achievement. And that started with her parents, right. like, good girl, you got an A+. And yeah. then, of course, that message is if she gets an A-, minus, because she never got anything yeah. below that. But in her, in her um, adult life, she was a very high achiever. We, you know, a lot of CEOs yeah. of companies are probably pretty addictive about that. Right. The right. thing is, as we know, we don't call it an addiction if it's not causing problems. We call it fun. Yeah. yeah. So there's something that, that we cross a line where we become um, – where we need that in some way, where mm-hmm. that is something that becomes habitual. And then in some way we lose the ability to control that essentially. Mm. Yeah. So, so you're saying control. that, so you're saying that this book would be beneficial to addicts, alcoholics, but also just anyone. Absolutely. Cause I think, 
Americans, we're highly addicted, right? We're oh, for addicted sure. to drama. We're yeah. addicted. Like, look at the po- what's going on in politics. We're oh, my highly gosh. addicted. Right. You know, reality TV. Yeah. I mean, I, I just have to share with you, I had never watched the Real Housewives series, and I had yeah. an opportunity to watch a couple, and I'm like, wow, we're addicted yeah. to that drama, yeah. that adrenaline. Yeah. And so – Again, I'm not, you know, it's not about right or wrong. It's about, you know, is that behavior moving you closer to the person you want to be and the life you want to create? When we move away from good and bad and right and wrong and even labeling ourselves as an addict or an alcoholic into like, because I, I, in my book, I've reframed coping mechanisms. I call them brilliant strategies. The reason I call them brilliant strategies is they worked. You Mm -hmm. know, I remember when I smoked weed and, and drank alcohol at age 13, it was the first time I had relief. I got sober at 20. Um, The question then becomes fundamentally, is it still working for you? Right. Mm. If it's still working, then they're probably not – no one – someone's probably not seeking help. But once someone is in treatment or in a counselor's office, most likely on some level it's not working. Well, and and to answer that question is going to require a degree of honesty. Right. Which – you know, the truth will set people free. What What do you think keeps addicts away from that level of honesty or that level of truthfulness? When we, when we, from such an early age, disconnect from the truth of who and what we are, authenticity becomes something that's not in. Uh, it, it's it becomes foreign, mm-hmm. right? So if you look at a really little kid under five before the programming, mm-hmm. they are in the moment. They are in their emotions. They yeah. will let you know exactly what they're thinking and feeling. Right. We get that programmed out of it. So when we have like some of the deep trauma, that separation, it becomes really scary to be myself or to be themselves in the room. So I think that that, and then once you start using something like heroin, I mean, that is like moving right. us further and further and further right. away from being able to be in our own bodies and mm-hmm. aware even of what we're thinking or feeling. So what wow. what are some of these brilliant strategies? Read the book. Well, the, bro- <laughs> the, bro- the brilliant strategies I'm referring to are the addictions, right? right? It's the things outside of ourselves. What I move into yeah. in the book, the second section is called Breaking the Cycle of Addiction. Okay. And it starts with creating safety. Okay. First and uh, foremost, how do I create safe places within myself and in my community? Do I have someone where I can start to unravel right. and be authentic? And then the second part is unlearning, which mm-hmm. we already kind of touched on, unlearning the beliefs, the, those, the BS, yeah. the belief systems. Yeah. That's, right. I think that's huge, too. The first thing you just talked about in that having a safe – safety – and just having a person, even if it's just one person, right. you know, earlier today, not to change the subject, but I was watching this video about someone who had jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen this. Mm-hmm. He survived, you know, and he said that immediately, as soon as he jumped and his feet left the bridge, he immediately regretted it. Right. And all he wanted to do was live. Now, while they were interviewing him and said, you know, if you can go back in time, what would you say to yourself? And he said, I would just put my hand on, on my shoulder and say, I got your back because yeah. all he wanted was safety. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for, for addicts and alcoholics coming into recovery, that's so huge in creating an environment that's conducive to recovery. Yeah. Cause see, when we're framing, I'm, I'm really grateful that you're talking about that because when we're framing the addiction as wrong yeah. and we're trying to eradicate it, that's the Western medical model, right? right? right. What are your symptoms? How do we get rid of them? Right. When we're looking at addiction as a solution that has quit working, one of the things we want to honor is that was a sense of safety. Right. You know, I never used, um, 
opiates. I never used heroin, but I hear that it feels like a warm blanket. People use that. I mean, I hear clients say that over and over again. That's a sense of safety, right? Mm -hmm. When it turns on them, it's still a solution on some level, or at least in their mind, it's like, I know this is effed up. I know this is causing problems and pain, but at least I feel a little bit of comfort from this. So, And it's that familiarity. Yeah. They know it. They know it. So although like their life might be going down the drain, it's comfortable because it's known. Yeah. And if if their life is going down the drain, but they don't believe they deserve a good life, yeah, it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. right? And that's how someone gets in the cycle. That's the shame the vicious. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you get toward the end. Where does the spirituality start to really make a difference and make an impact and, and shift? It's like you're psychic right now because then the next chapter after that <laughs> is practicing spiritual principles. So uh, there's a lot of spiritual principles, right? We know mindfulness yeah. now. That is clinically proven to be highly effective right. with addiction. Right. I also move into some other, you know, other spiritual principles like uh-huh. peace with impermanence, mm. living in the question. Uh, mm. Living in the question is one of my favorite conversations because what happens is we get my favorite word, concretized in our beliefs. It's like we're in cement and maybe don't even recognize that we have the ability to break free. And so starting to question, where did I get this belief? Yeah. Yeah. How do I feel when I believe it? What would I be without this? Right. And would you say living in the question? Yeah. And not being like afraid of that either. You know, because in my experience, and, and I don't know, I'd like to actually hear what you have to say. Like young people being in, programmed in such a competitive world to not have an answer is like a scary thing. Absolutely. Our entire educational system is based on having (laughs) the answer. You know, I'm going back to politics a little bit. Like if a politician changes their point of view, they're like, Oh, he's, he's a wish. Yeah. He's flip flopping. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, no, maybe nuanced positions, right? Like maybe I evolved and I'm seeing it differently. And I think you're touching on something really powerful, Brian, because People do believe I need the answer. And so we're yeah. seeking answers. And so to be able to say, I don't know, yeah. it's a really powerful place. And to begin to question, I have a couple of questions that are my favorites. Yeah. What else is possible? How does it get even better than this? Mm. Mm. And I, 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 I also like to think that, you know, when they understand that, and I mean they as in we too, when we understand that we have the ability within us that we can stop looking for someone right. that that we have that i think that's a huge revelation for a lot of people mm. coming it, into this this new life of recovery it's the greatest paradox we all are looking for love and connection right and we're, in the addicted self, we're looking for that outside of ourselves and it doesn't really fix something first of all it's we're not really broken but right. we're trying to fix a belief system and yet we really do want love and connection and need it. The key, though, as you're saying, is to begin within. Right. You know, be the love that I want to be. Be the connection mm-hmm. I want to be. And then all of a sudden I'm attracting relationships that mirror that. You know, I yeah. want to talk for a moment about why I chose the title Conscious Recovery. Yes. Other than, of course, my first book is Conscious Being. There's yeah. a plug for that. Hey, I'm doing, I'm doing a trio. The other one is coming out in a year. Okay. Uh, unconscious and Conscious. So most of us are walking around pretty asleep, being run by the programs that are unconscious. If I believe I'm not lovable, 
I'm going to try to get love in every situation, but I'm walking mm. around with the vibration that I'm not lovable. So I'm going to find myself in situations and relationships that confirm the negative belief. Mm-hmm. So the key here is to create a space and a place for us to begin to bring the unconscious beliefs, ideas, and perspectives to the surface so that we can begin to dismantle and unlearn those and at very least question them so that we can start to choose because we're always choosing. We just don't know we're always choosing. Mm-hmm. When the unconscious is choosing, we have no idea. So we'll say, you know, I'm in my fourth relationship and all of a sudden I'm with the same person. Right. I thought she was different. I thought he was different. That's because the unconscious is vibrating at that, at that frequency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. We're getting all into it here. I love it. I yeah. love it. So what's next for you, TJ? What are you up to? I mean, you've got your book here. Where can people find it? How can how can they get involved? I mean, where where are you at? Let's... Well, I have a really big vision. Yeah. I've created what I call the Conscious Recovery Method, which is 12-week curriculum, authenticity groups, conscious recovery groups. My intention is to have the curriculum in as many treatment programs around the world as possible, train people to facilitate in this new method, beginning with looking at the person as whole and perfect spiritually beyond the symptoms, beyond the diagnoses. So that's what I'm working on right now. I'm going to be this weekend at a conference meeting with different people that have treatment programs, that run treatment programs to introduce this. The book can be uh, found on Amazon. That's the best place. You know, it's uh, it's only $3 for the ebook. So yeah. Conscious recovery, a fresh perspective on addiction. Wow. I love it. So where are you at? You're not in California, are you? You don't live here. I do. I live yeah, in San Francisco. You, do. you live in Love the Bay it. Area. Yeah. yeah. Okay. San Francisco, I work at uh, two or three different treatment. Pro- I say two or three. I'm working on the third one yeah. in <laughs> Marin in San Francisco. Okay. And this, I'm, I'm running the authenticity groups, the conscious recovery groups. Feels so grateful. Got nice. it. Where can people find you online? TJWoodward.com. Perfect. Perfect. The man, the conscious recovery method. What? What? Before we wrap it up, I want to hear what what message or what piece of wisdom would you offer to someone who's who's in a state of feeling hopeless or toxic shame or, or helpless I mean, someone struggling to start i just want to say no matter what's happened to you no matter what you've done you can break the cycle of addiction you can live a life of love and connection find support find people around you create a safe space externally mm. look for a support group that you resonate with yeah. i had you know there's so much out there now there's 12 step there's yeah. refuge recovery there's all kinds of different places for you to get the help and the connection that you're longing for. I know we all want love and connection. That's what, why we're here. I believe that's the ultimate purpose that we all are here to express. So find support. Beautiful. And what about for those that are listening that may have a loved one, they themselves aren't in that situation, but they're just scrambling. I don't know what to do. The person I love, my, my son, my daughter, you know, that's one of the hardest things, right? I've, I've noticed in my own life that sometimes the people closest to the person have the most difficulty reaching them. Yeah. So it's, you know, get support for yourself. 
you know, mm-hmm. what would it be like to live in the question of viewing them as whole and perfect? Mm-hmm. Not always easy, you know, when it's someone in our family right. and there's been so much pain that's caused, you know, there's mm-hmm. a whole section of my book about rebuilding trust. So I would say one, get the support that you need for yourself rather than focusing on them, and then also see what resources are available for them so they can find a way to Mm. begin to unravel and to connect with a supportive community as well. And by the book. And by the book. And by the book, of Of course. course. All Um, right, before we leave, you want to leave the audience or those listeners with any trinkets, any nuggets of knowledge, wisdom, anything you want to tell them, shout out. I just want to say you are whole and perfect just the way you are. Don't let anyone tell you anything other than that, especially the voice in your own head. Yeah. Dang. That's right. Well, it was amazing having you. Thanks, TJ, for being on the show. We appreciate it. Um, Guys listening, go out today on Amazon. Check out Conscious Recovery by TJ Woodward. And check him out on Facebook and all social media, Instagram. Check him out, tjwoodward.com, the Conscious Recovery Method. Boom. This has been another episode of the Sober Life Audio Audio Experience. Experience. Thanks for tuning in. Peace. Yeah. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.